0: Well, good evening. So glad you're here. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yes. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Thank you. Yes, you can say that in church. It's okay. Um, so, uh, if you would please stand with me, and we're going to read God's word tonight. We're going to be in Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one. We're going to start at verse 18. I didn't have mine pulled up, so it gives you a second to stand up if, still if you haven't. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Hear God's Word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together... You may be seated. Father, we thank you for this evening. Um, We thank you that we can come together and reflect on truly a a holy night. And I ask, Lord, that your presence would be very, very real to us, um, that we'd be able to be aware that you are near, and uh, that you have a message of Hope and love and joy and peace for us, what Advent represents, and that this evening, whatever it is we've brought with us, if it keeps us from being here and being present, the distractions of family, um, of maybe even tomorrow and the hustle and bustle, whatever it may be, that you would give us the gift of just being present, to receive from you, to hear from you, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, and that we would be so compelled by you, Jesus, Your advent in this world, the incarnation of God, that we would be so compelled by that that we would leave here more convinced to want to live in the light of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So how many of you have family Christmas traditions that you've been doing for a long time? All right, a few of you, okay. Okay. I have a tradition with my family, my extended family, that's been going on for 37 years. I'm 38 years old. Uh, so for 37 years, and um, every, uh, we used to do it Christmas Eve, but every uh, 23rd or 24th of December, we gather together at my grandmother's home, Nanny. Nanny, if you're listening, I love you. I know you don't know how to work podcasts, so you're probably not listening. Um, but uh, we would go to Nanny's, Nanny and Pop, when Pop was alive, Nanny and Pop. And we would, uh, we had the the way it was all set up was we we had about thirty acres of land uh, that all the family members lived on. Each everybody had about five or seven acres of land apiece, and um, so aunts and uncles and me and my mom and my grandparents. It's in Mississippi, which I guess makes us a compound. But regardless, that's where I grew up, and um, and so every every Christmas Eve we'd come together, and there was four grandkids. And um, it's always just a big ordeal, right? There's highs and there's lows. Uh, there's, for the most part, good food. There's, but you know, sometimes it's not that good, but you don't tell anybody, but you still eat it. And so there's food, and as a kid, the highlight was, was presents, like gifts, and the excitement around that. All the aunts and uncles bringing gifts and getting together. And as a kid growing up, like that was it. I couldn't wait. There were always going to be really good gifts. And, um, and I think that probably for most of us in this room, that if you grew up maybe in an atmosphere similar to that, that was maybe like your reality as well, that you had a lot of excitement around those gifts, those presents to get. But something I realized was happening as I got older, um, it wasn't as fun because the gifts weren't as great. Right? Like, as you get older, like, you get something for Christmas, and you're like, I think I could just buy that with my job now if I wanted to. I could just go get that, maybe use some self-control. But when you're a kid, you can't afford anything. So you're super excited. You're at the mercy of your family, your parents. But um, the, the gifts got less exciting and interesting. And, um, and, but the truth of the matter is because I was growing up. I was getting older. Um, and there was a season there where it just wasn't as fun to go to Nanny and Pops for Christmas Eve until really the last couple of years, uh, and especially yesterday. Uh, so now the grandkids have kids. So now there's great-grandkids. And the great-grandkids are old enough to, like, entertain, okay? And so uh, my mom, uh, growing up, would always get the, the grandkids, me and my cousins, to make us perform. Uh, we'd have to do, like, songs and sing Frost of the Snowman and stand, like in front of everybody and just be really embarrassed. And it felt like we were having to do this to get presents, like we had to earn our presents for this evening. And that was always really frustrating. I just wanted to like get past all of that. and But now I'm like, that's so much fun, right? Like So yesterday, uh, my daughter Charlotte, uh, she was putting on a show. And uh, she and Suzanne, my wife, they listened to the Sing soundtrack. Anybody seen the movie Sing this past year? You're really missing out if you haven't, okay? Really, really good stuff. So the Sing soundtrack, and so Charlotte is like belting out all these notes. Charlotte can't speak that well, but she can sing these songs. It was incredible. And so I'm finding that like the presents I got, like I think I got one or two presents, and I'm like, yeah, no, no thanks. But there was another present I got, and that was getting to see my, my daughter like just have a good time and run around and jump and dance and practice her ballet, um, all those kind of things. And I was just thinking about that, how so many times the presents, the gifts, we believe are really kind of the thing in Christmas. But really it's the presents, not presents gifts, but like presents as in you're with someone. That becomes the, the real gift that you find that you're getting a lot out of. And I was looking around the room yesterday going, just being with my family, my immediate family, Suzanne and Charlotte, but then with my extended family, that was a new type of gift for me. And I think that there's something about the presence that we get from the presence of Jesus that we can reflect on this evening um, for Christmas Eve. And that's what I want us to do. I, just, I want us to be able to reflect on this passage And honestly, this has been a a message in me that I've been living with for two years. It's very rare you hear a preacher sit on a message for two years. But for me, this is something I've just been having to reflect on because so much of my life has been about getting things. More and more I'm finding life is about getting to experience things. So much of life has been about trying to go and find something instead of realizing that if I just take a second and sit with the moment... That there can be gifts in that that I never would have even thought of, gifts that I'll miss out on. And there's a, a word, a name in this passage that we read with the Advent liturgy and that also shows up in, in Matthew chapter 1. It's this word Emmanuel. And the very first time this word appears, we read it just a minute ago, is in um, Isaiah chapter 7. And the context of this, because I want you to to just keep this in mind, Matthew, of all the Gospels, Matthew is a Jewish writer writing to Jewish people. Like, each of the Gospels have a different bend to it. Like, Mark is the very first Gospel, so that's why it's very short, it's a bit rough, he's just trying to get some narrative out there. Luke is written to a certain person, Theopolis, that Luke is trying to help evangelize to. The Gospel of John is written way later in the first century to a people who are in diaspora, who have been spread out all throughout Rome, the Roman world. And John is trying to galvanize a message in them that their true king, Jesus, is going to be stronger than any emperor Rome throws their way. But Matthew is written to Jewish people. And so he's thinking within a Jewish context. And in this, what he's wanting people to think about, this is why he's starting off with Isaiah 7, is that there are prophecies you as Jewish people have been waiting for, for hundreds and hundreds of years to come true. Things that you have been dying to see, that one day there will be this Emmanuel, which means God's with us. Matter of fact, if you were to look at Isaiah 7, that verse, and then you look at Matthew 1, Matthew quotes it verbatim, and then separate from quoting it verbatim, he even calls back to mind. Because every person in that, that's reading this is going to know, oh, Emmanuel, wait a second. And then he's going to say, God with us. He even calls Jesus the Christ, which Christ would mean Messiah. It would spark things for a Jewish reader, a Jew or Jewish listener. And what Matthew's pointing back to in Isaiah 7 is the beginning of a very dark time for God's people. It's the first of two exiles. Assyria in the north had come to power. Israel was split in two, the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Northern kingdom was Israel, southern kingdom was Judah. And Assyria had taken Israel, the northern kingdom, captive and was now using all the power and force of the northern kingdom to come down on the southern kingdom of Judah. And so Ahaz is this king at the time in the southern kingdom of Judah. And he realizes these forces are coming. And through Isaiah, God is speaking to him saying, this is going to be rough, but I want you to know that this will not last. That one day I will come in the midst of your darkness and your despair and things will be made right. And so this was what every person in the southern kingdom of Judah was hoping for and waiting for. And yet it didn't come soon. Fifty years went by. A hundred years went by. And after a hundred and fifty years went by, another power came in, Babylon, and finally took Judah captive. And then we had another four hundred years where all of God's people were captured and ruled by Babylon, by King Nebuchadnezzar and those that came after him, rulers And they're living in this land that's not their own. God has gone silent. And the only thing they have to hold on to is this one word, Emmanuel. The last whispers they hear from God is, I will come to be with you. And they're living in darkness. This is what's called the 400 years of silence and also the 400 years of darkness. And so when Matthew is speaking here, he is Purposely using words and images that is going to stir them up. Remember this. You've forgotten it. I know it's been hundreds of years. I know that you've lost hope. But the time has finally come that you can take back that hope. You can find now that love and that joy and that peace. All the narratives that we have here in Advent. And I just want us to reflect what I believe are three pieces or three presents that Matthew is speaking to us from this narrative. And I want us to consider each gift. The first gift that I think Matthew is conjuring up for us, if we're willing just to sit with it, is that God comes in unexpected ways and times. That God comes in unexpected ways and and times. If you were to look at the first 17 verses of Matthew, and you wouldn't get this unless you were just studying the commentaries, but as a Jewish person, you would know it. Look back for a second with me to chapter to chapter 1. I want to look at a couple of verses. Look back at verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now we read that and we're like, they dislike their numbers. But um, ancient Jewish people were um, really into numerology. Like numbers represented things. And so anyone, do the quick math. 14 times 3 is what? You didn't expect that on Christmas Eve. Somebody? 42. 42. That's right. Thank you. 42. Now for us, 42, we're going, what does that mean? Well, actually, in the Old Testament, the number 42 always represents wilderness. It's, It's shorthand for wilderness. That whenever you would see the numbers added up of 42, and it happens throughout the Old Testament, this is a way for writers to conjure up an understanding that life is a wilderness. And what's interesting here is he starts with Abraham and goes all the way to Jesus. What he's saying is this. The whole Old Testament, everything you've been waiting for so far has been wilderness. And for a Jewish person, like Jewish people, ancient Jewish people loved, they, they really understood misery and sadness. Like they didn't get away from that. Like, if, if you were to talk about how sad you were, an ancient Jewish person would be like, yes, it's so sad. Life is very tragic. But their narrative was this. As tragic as life is, God is faithful. But the tragedy is going to keep happening, and you can't get away from it. They believed that all of life was tragedy, and yet God somehow was faithful in the midst of it all. That all of life was wilderness. And yet, in the midst of wilderness, God could come and meet you. And I think here for us if we were to take that and consider that what it tells us is that God meets us in our darkest times I think that's what Matthew's trying to get across up front that God comes and meets us in our darkest times so what has 2017 been like for you? has it been dark times? what has life thrown your way this year? What are you still trying to rebound from from 2016 or 2015? And the list goes on. What do you find yourself in the midst of that you're just thinking this will never end? And then how many of you, how many of us have asked the questions this year, God, where are you? This is too much. This is too heavy. I can't take it. Whether you're 10 years old or 80 years old. Those are the kind of questions we ask ourselves intuitively. Like, will this last? God, where are you? This is so hard. This feels so heavy. And we don't think to call it a wilderness. But if you think about it, it feels like a wilderness. Because a wilderness is a place of loneliness. It's a place of sadness. It's a place of despair. It's a place where you ask more questions than you get answers. And you feel like it just is going to keep going and going. And you try to exert your power in it to change it, but it doesn't change. And Matthew gets this. And he's saying, God has appeared. In the midst of wilderness, God has appeared. And I think the first present, the first gift we get from the presence of Jesus is this reminder that no matter how dark life gets, He appears in unexpected ways. And it's not things we can control, but things we only can look for. I think the second gift in here that Matthew is trying to point us to is that God comes in vulnerability. He comes in vulnerability. When you think of God Himself coming in the flesh, you think of Jesus in His three years of amazing ministry, healing the sick, helping the blind see, raising the dead performing all these miracles. Like that's how we think of Jesus. It's almost like this static view. As an adult, maybe a beard, but like He's very capable. He can handle things Himself. But what Advent gives us, what the Incarnation is trying to give us, is this, that when God appears, He appears and He comes in the most vulnerable form of humanity. When I think about Charlotte, uh, we had a, a home birth. When I say we, Suzanne, Suzanne had a home birth. I was there just trying not to faint. Mm-hmm. But um, we had a home birth, and I remember um, there were a couple things that happened that evening. Uh, she was Suzanne was in labor for 24 hours, and, and then there was a couple things that happened where um, at the at last minute Suzanne had to be taken actually to the hospital, um, and she's fine, but she had to be taken to the hospital. And I remember it was 2.30 in the morning. And um, we had to call uh, the, the, the ambulance in, so like lights were flashing on our street. People were like, what is going on with the Abadies? Uh, crazy home birth. Those people were strange. And um, it was like a, a Barney Hill TV show. Some of you were way too young to know what I'm talking about, but like a bunch of people ran in, and I felt like they were just like running around the bed like in circles and they finally put Suzanne on a gurney and then ran her out and so at one point there was like nine people in my house and all of a sudden there were only two me and Charlotte she was two hours old and I was holding this little baby in my hands and I always think I always think was like just don't mess this up Robin (laughs) like just don't mess this up I was like what do I do here And I remember I went I just kind of sat her down in her bassinet and I just stared at her. And then I laid down in the bed and I stared at her until I shut my eyes and then I woke up three hours later and then I like had to figure out how to get her in a car seat to take her to the hospital so that she could be fed. A very vulnerable, vulnerable moment. That this baby, my daughter, needed me to be able to take care of her. I think it's a very powerful image for God to come as a baby. The power of the universe in Mary's hands passed over to Joseph. Almighty God right there saying, here I am. All eight pounds, six ounces of baby Jesus. This baby that you could love Or harm this baby that you could bring close or you could push away. Just think about that. That's how God comes into this world. That you're the one, in a sense, that has like this power, not this baby. But that narrative tells us something. Because that means the only way you can actually connect with God is not through power, but through vulnerability. And there's a very powerful narrative for us that the way we connect with God is not through exerting enough force, enough intuition, getting everything lined up in a row, but it's by simple admission of our weakness. Like the way you connect with God is the way that God connects with us and that is I need help. That's what babies do. They say I need help. They can't even say those words that they're crying for. They know it when they come into this world their limbic shooting off saying I need food, I need mama I don't need daddy, I need mama and I need you to take care of me and for Matthew I believe that's the narrative he wants us to pick up on it's in your bulletins, it's a quote by J.R. Packer, he says the almighty appeared on earth as a helpless baby, as a helpless human baby needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the Incarnation. Just for a second, just close your eyes for a second. I want you to imagine walking up to Mary after Jesus has been born. And I want you to imagine Mary is then handing Jesus to you. What does He smell like? What does He feel like? What do you feel inside? Come back to me. That's vulnerability. And that's a present that God gives us and he says if you're willing to come to me the way I've come to you then you'll be able to find a gift in the midst of the dark time the last thing I think that Matthew points us to a gift that we receive is God comes in innocence babies represent hope Babies represent a chance for things to be different. Movies and books are written around this narrative that there can be a new hope with a child. No matter how life has gone, this could be different. And I've been thinking about this a lot for the last few weeks, actually. I've been thinking about how much I desire innocence in life. I I don't mean purity, that's important. I mean innocence. I've realized how much I long to get past the narratives in my past that were so messy and troublesome. Growing up in the kind of atmospheres that I did, doing the kind of things that I did, like the guilt and the shame, I don't let you, it can really weigh heavy. And you feel like you can't outrun those narratives. It's just too much. And I've realized in me, I desire just innocence. I desire hope. I desire, like, I want to go back home, but, like, not the home that was so messy and troubled. But I do have this longing for things somehow to be made right, but I can't make them right. But I desire innocence. And I know that's a really abstract thought, but I think this narrative of the nativity of Jesus who comes in unexpected times and ways, of Jesus who comes in vulnerability, it's also a Jesus who comes in the most innocent way of humanity, a baby. And I think it tells us something, that no matter what has happened, where we are, what we've lost, hope is always present. And I think if we're just willing to even receive that right now. Like Christmas time shoots off the PTSD, right? You with me on that? Like, you're like, your body's going like, what is happening? I'm about to go into like family time and all of a sudden you feel like you're 10 years old again and something bad's going to go down with your uncle. Like you don't know. Like you know, like something, people are going to start yelling and they're not. Like everything's fine. But it's like something's happening. You're like, I don't know if this is safe or not. And you're just like, you don't know what to do with it all. Like, holidays can do that. I don't know about you It can do that for me. I can go, wow, this is so much. And then I can start believing that things are never going to change in my own life and it kind of set me in this motion and I can just really get, like, just turned all upside down inside. But I think this narrative of the nativity tells us that innocence is possible. That whatever you've lost can be found again. Whatever's happened actually can be undone. Whatever track you're on, you don't have to stay on. That the baby Jesus that comes to us in vulnerability, that comes to us in unexpected ways and times, tells us that hope is still possible. And then we don't have to run away from it or rage against it to try to get away from it. We simply can receive it. And all of our flaws and all the ways we get it wrong. So as um, Andrew and Brittany come back up, I just want us to sit with this for a minute. We're going to get ready to take communion. And um, what I want you to consider is this when you come forward to take communion. So don't let this just be another... Let's get this over with and get, all to, get on to the craziness of the holidays. But just to ask yourself, do you feel lost? Does life feel like a wilderness? If so, then this table is for you. Do you feel like that you have to be hard-hearted all the time? You can't be honest, you can't be transparent, much less vulnerable about who you are and where you are then this table is for you. Or do you feel like that life has been too tragic and that you really can't get back home, you can't find the innocence, you can't get the hope that you've been looking for, that this year has been too much, then this table is for you. And I would just ask you to bring all of that up here and as you take this body and take His blood, consider how He's given you gifts, these presents, from His presence this evening. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Jesus, for baby Jesus. We thank You for what this story tells us. Regardless of the historicity and the questions we would ask around that, regardless of even questions of divinity, all those kind of things that come with this, all the stuff we can get kind of caught up in and want to ask questions and poke holes in whatever that may be I pray we'd be able to set that down right now and receive this narrative that tells us that God you come to us in unexpected ways and times you come to us in vulnerability and you come to help bring innocence again and that we'd realize something that that truly is a great gift those are great gifts that no matter what we receive tangibly tomorrow tomorrow that we remember that those things truly are short-lived in the kind of hope they bring and that we may be able to receive what it is you have to give us, the kind of gifts that actually can buoy us into next year, can help bring transformation, ultimately bring hope. In your name we pray. Amen.